Uh, in terms of introduction, so I'm Rory. Good, I think I met most of you, but maybe not all of you. So I'm going to have you normally um, one of the pastors at Providence Church, uh, which meets in Florida and in, in Subiaco at, at the moment. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about today, excited about this topic. I think of myself as someone who is um, uh, not uh, organised or productive by nature, and which has the disadvantage that I'm not naturally... Uh, gifted this stuff, but I guess the advantage that I've had to learn it mainly the hard way, you know, as much as I learn any of it, and um, I, you know, as I, I, I metaphorically used a few times, say, a number of times in my life and ministry I've hit what I call blue screen, uh, which is a metaphor from the Truman Show, if you know that film, uh, where it's a guy in a reality TV show and he, he goes out and he hits a point where um, there's just blue screen, that the ocean finishes and that's it. And I think a big part of my life and ministry experience has been regularly hitting blue screen and thinking, I've got nothing. Like, I don't know how to manage a staff team. I don't know how to organise a calendar. I don't know how to run a project. And having hit blue screen um, desperately all together, uh, whatever resources resources are good. Uh, So that's me. Mikey, on the other hand, if I may uh, say things he wouldn't say about himself, I think he's a, a, a really gifted person in this space. And um, so I've, he's one of my real go-to people to think of. Who's someone in Australia who's doing the kind of ministry that we want to do? You know, discipleship-based, Bible-driven, gospel-centered uh, ministry. Who's, who's doing that? And who's doing that? Uh, and is also reflective on and good at uh, systems, leadership, staff teams, uh, delegation. Um, all, all that kind of stuff. And I reckon they don't always go together. Often, I observe, you get some people who are uh, very good at practice and live in the leadership literature, but the theology is like L-I-T-E and um, <laughs> stuff. Or you get people who are the kind of spending, you know, uh, 40 hours a week in their mahogany study reading uh, Calvin and Martin Lloyd-Jones preaching and then, you know, like Terminator style going... Back into the uh, back into the vestry uh, and away from the people, and um, I don't think any of us want to do either of those things. I think we want uh, discipleship, Bible, gospel, Jesus, ministry that is also productive, uh, sensitive to the resources and stewarding uh, what God's given us, and getting better at stuff that, as creatures made the image of God, we can potentially get better. So, anyway, that's the kind of space we want to occupy. Uh, Mikey, you might want to stand up and just identify yourself. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah. Maybe you can guide this uh, this interview by saying, what do you think people need to know about you to be able to access you well? Um, uh, so, I guess it's always hard when you're not used to hearing someone talk, you're trying to figure them out, and so I guess that will be part of the day. We'll get, get to know each other, and you'll get to, those of you who don't know me will get to know me. I, 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 I mean, I'll talk quickly and that might get a bit getting used to but the student I work in the student ministry and so I've overheard students say to guests they bring to our things you know when Mikey really wants you to hear something because he'll slow down then (laughs) so sometimes I'm talking quickly and you can't quite get it all down don't worry if it's really important I'll probably slow down apparently I slow down so (laughs) so I guess that's helpful to know Um, my sense of humor is a little bit sort of on the um uh, deadpan, slightly sort of sarcastic type, and so if I say something that you go, oh gosh, that you know that, that sounded a bit off. 
I'm probably trying to be funny and just not succeeding, so please forgive me that. Um, uh, so, so I might say something in a deadpan way, but it's meant to be a kind of a, a little joke, and, and um, so forgive me if I do that. Um, and, and I might and also at times, I guess like anyone who's used to being a preacher, you might make your point bluntly to get people thinking, um, but it probably is overly simple. So, you know, if you go, oh, it's more complicated than that, or my situation is slightly different to that, you're probably right, mm. and I'd probably agree with you, you know. And so, if in doubt, ask the person next to you and say, "Yeah, I didn't agree with that either," or check with me, and I'll say, "Yeah, I didn't really agree with that." But it was <laughs> what I was trying to say. Was the, so I guess that's some that's great. That's helpful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm married to Nikki, who's an introvert and a, um, a messy person, and a, um, a kind of a down-to-earth, invest in a few people and spend a lot of time in the garden sort of person. And I think that's really lovely because it reminds <coughs> me that you can be effective and productive in life and very different sorts of people, different sorts of personalities, different sorts of temperaments. Um, and she does things that I don't do, being fast-paced, highly strung, you know, OCD, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm really thankful we married each other. If I'd married another person like me, I probably would have ended up like the Underwoods in House of Cards. <laughs> 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 Yeah, yeah, we're a chalk and cheese couple, and that's great. So I guess that's another good thing to know about me. You know, I, again, I say to the, the staff who work with me, you should talk with Nikki, and she'll she'll tell you the other side of me and my life, and, and help you not take me so seriously. Great, excellent. And um, oh, one more thing. So I think it looks like from the room that you've exegeted the phrase "the productive pastor well," as if you haven't assumed it means the pastor of a local church. Um, so well done. And that's represented up here. So I'm pastor of a local church. It'd just be nice to get a, a snapshot of the ministry that you've left behind uh, in, uh, in Tasmania. Yeah. So I'm a I'm a campus evangelist working with AFES, leading the staff team at the University of Tasmania in Hobart. So I, I work as a, a home missionary uh, with that mission field there. Uh, but also, as, as is the case with pastors and, and also often with AFES staff, um, I'm involved in a broader kind of network ministry as well of wanting to invest in the gospel in Tasmania. And so I help with the MTS network in Tasmania, help with a local network of church plants called the Vision 100 Network, and, and I, I helped start the national group Geneva Push, and so I... I'm a director of that team and, and do some of the assessing and coaching with Jimmy. So David Young over there, we catch up once a month on Skype and talk about how he's going with the Bentley Church. And, um, you know, I'm, as I'll say later, I mean, coaching, you don't have to be a genius to be a coach. You just need to say, last time we talked, you said this, and you said you were going to do that. How's it now going? Did you do it? That's, cool. a, there you go, that's it. And so we do that, and it's, it was so encouraging last week to go and actually watch Damien evangelise with... You know, a bunch of students in a lecture theatre, non-Christians up the back. You know, all like that. It was really exciting, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Cool, great. Thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, so I, if I can just explain my role, I think I'm uh, giving you a bit of content in the first session, uh, but I think mainly I'm about being the kind of launderer that conduits uh, Mikey in, because I've, I've learned a lot from him uh, over the last few years, and really pleased to have you guys uh, take him. And then I'll adopt the role of being uh, maybe like the precocious student. So I might interrupt Mikey and say, oh, does that really work? Or, wow, that's amazing. Kind of fanboyish slash. And asking those things. But then it'll be uh, me, uh, Mikey and I will both be very interruptible because uh, there's a lot of wisdom in the room. And I think we can, if we can spur one another on, uh, that'll, that'll be a good thing. Um, we're going to read scripture. 
and uh, and pray, and then get on to our main content. I'd love you to read. Uh, I'd love someone to read. Coloss- uh, someone to read and everyone to look at Colossians chapter one, uh, verses nine to thirteen. chapter 1 from verse 9 to 14. So do we have someone read? Ben's going to read. Is that? Yeah. Yep. And then I'd love everyone to be listening and we're just going to do this together. I've got a a talk plan. I just want you to see things in there and bring them to our attention. Um, What do you see? Can you bless us with uh, helping us to observe things in this passage that uh, speak to us about the Lord and maybe even speak to us about the particular topics of Thanks, Ben. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right, what can you help us to, to, uh, to see there and to uh, bless us with? Uh, the application of the Trinity. Yeah, um, So the acknowledgement of our Lord, mm. our Father, and the power nice. of the Holy Spirit. So the tridactic... tridactic Understanding or um, application. Yeah, so effortless in Paul, isn't it? Just yeah. the Father, Son, and Spirit, just muted throughout. Uh, never puts his foot wrong, but doesn't feel like he's. If you ever said, Paul, did you try to write a Trinitarian sentence? I think it's just just cut him and it bleeds. Uh, Trinitarian, beautiful. Paul. Living a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing Him in every way involves three things particularly there. So bearing fruit, being strengthened, and giving joyful thanks. Yeah, right. And what 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 is that? What do you think bearing fruit is, or increasing the knowledge of God, every good work? What? Mature disciples. Mature. Mature maturity in yourself, but also the disciples that you're working with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. The fruit thing comes up a lot in Colossians. Uh, so back in verse 6, uh, the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Um, uh, and I think there, I mean, it's probably both, isn't it? Increasing in discipleship and increasing just numerically. There are more churches than there were. There's more disciples than there were. And I think in verse 10, they're more fruitful in their in every good work, that their, their good works are bearing fruit for God. I think, I, I, mean, I think that's an important thing for us to hear that um, uh, that we're we're looking for fruitfulness. I think busyness can be a proxy for 
productivity. And I think we, we agonised a little bit over the word productive and went with it because it rhymed, it's got the same alliteration as pasta. <laughs> um, but I think I'd be a bit worried if it was called the efficient pasta. I think that would be, we'd be too much a product of our age if we were thinking we, we are, you know, the post-industrial people that just have, you know, we come in a time in history where we worked out how to make uh, things quickly and efficiently by uh, division of labour and so on. That's not the same as being productive. I like productive because it's agricultural, a productive field, a productive tree. And, uh, you know, I think a farmer, a farmer isn't thinking, how busy can I get or how do I clock in and clock out? They're thinking, how does this tree bear fruit? And the farmer will do anything to see that the tree bear fruit and it's not about the hours, it's about the soil and the tree and the photosynthesis and that kind of thing. So, with productivity, because we want to be, uh, we want to see fruit, and uh, here particularly, I guess, fruit in 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 lives change. Mm -hmm. The bearing fruit doesn't just look at works, it's actually being in Christ as well. So, increasing in knowledge. Yes, yep, yep, yep. There's two aspects to that. Yes, yep. Increasing, you know, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, verse 11, and then at the very end of the chapter, reinforces how the great power of God at work in us is evidenced by just patient endurance. And so, again, a big New Testament thing. Yeah, yeah. Which I think that, again, in our, as moderns, that's a weird, it's an escalating sentence that he'll give you all this and this and the spirit, blah, 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 so that you'll have patient endurance. You're like, how's that a thing? <laughs> like, oh, how's that a good thing? Um, but it's very, uh, uh, it's a great thing, and it, and it requires the whole Trinitarian work of God to have patient endurance, mm. a, a virtue in, uh, in the kind of, yeah, a virtue in the kind of the work that we in this room represent. And it's joyful patience. Yeah. Not just gritted teeth. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great observation. That would be a very, very different sentence without joy. A very, a very different result with that joy. Yeah. It's interesting. If Paul is a productive pastor, whatever else he does, he still spends a lot of time praying. Yes. Yep. 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 He's very steady in prayer. So I'm not sure I could say that many people they haven't stopped praying for you. I continually ask God. I think I'd more have to say I occasionally pray for you. (laughs) 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 When I remember. (laughs) And my guess is Paul Paul, I don't think the way Paul thinks about prayer that he'd think, Oh, busy, busy, productive, I'm gonna tap out of that and just pray. I think he'd think that prayer is part of how productive in the sense of bearing fruit for God. That uh, it's it's part of his work mm. to to pray fruit in people's lives. And, mm. um, I think uh, maybe we'll finish with this. Especially if you're, I feel like if if you're a uh, in a, in a church situation and Sunday is kind of an, a a peak period, but for for all of us, I guess uh, there's something inherently cruel about talking about productivity on a Monday because uh, it's kind of. The adrenaline's all gone out, and you're thinking about what could have been and how that was. Oh man, that's cringing. I'm super cringing. Last night, I had this really dumb conversation where I just I missed I missed who someone was, and 
just kind of said the wrong thing after church and then just thought, oh, why won't the earth swallow me up now? <laughs> and uh, so on. So, uh, if you're like that, then uh, notice that it's the, um, uh, the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in light. So, um, you know, stand by grace, stand by his qualification of us, not the dumb conversation that you had on Sunday uh, or the, uh, the sermon went on. Well, if you can see my little uh, my little outline there, and as I say, if you hear later, this it's just on scrap paper, so ignore what's on the back of it. That's not to do with um, today. Um, I wanted to kind of liberate us up a bit by thinking about um, our uh, our lives and our, our work under those three three instruments: the uh, the the clock, the uh, the calendar, and the compass. Uh, so they're three uh, three ways of measuring uh, various things. So the the clock measures. Over a day, I think. I think. I think. I think. I like a day there. How you, how you use the day. What a, what a day, uh, looks like. The calendar gets you a bit higher up. You're thinking, still measuring time, but you're over the course of a year. And I want to think a little bit with you about the uh, the pattern of a year in ministry and service, and the kind of uh, seasons of kairos and chronos, of feast and fast, of uh, being wise in our creatureliness and in our createdness. Uh, in the way we use our, our uh, years and so on. And then the, uh, the compass, which doesn't measure time, but measures uh, direction. And so that's a, a, different, uh, a different kind of uh, measurement, but, uh, but one that matters enormously. If you know the um, Seven Habits, Highly Picked People, uh, Stephen Covey talks about the, um, the possibility that you're, you're greatly increasing the rate at which you cut down the trees in the forest but haven't checked that you're in the right forest, and uh, and so the, uh, the the compass is that ability to look out and think is this the direction that things really should be heading in. So I wanted to uh, think with you in the time that I've got, just until ten o'clock, about the clock, the calendar, or the compass. And I guess I wanted to get you a little bit reflective by giving you a couple of minutes uh, just to think under those under those three instruments uh, about where you're um, kicking goals, maybe where you're hitting some blue screen. Um, you know, is it in the way that your a day in ministry plays out? Is there anything broken in that, or is it? Are you feeling like the the project management is where you're feeling feeling the pain, getting things happening over a year, or is it the compass? Do you feel like you need that kind of altitude that you're not persuaded that you're in the right forest or? Uh, or whatever. So can you um, can you take a couple of minutes and be um, you can be honest because you don't have to be disclosing. So I won't get you to share it with the person next to you. It won't be like that thing. Uh, you know, everyone close your eyes, put your hand up if you're struggling with uh, sexual sin. And everyone open your hand, eyes. <laughs> it won't be that. So um, take a couple of minutes just to get a bit reflective about those uh, those things in your own ministry. But let me just uh, frame our situation a bit as I see it and then work through those three uh, three instruments with a few reflections and, and exercises and so on. Um, it, it's interesting that, uh, you know there's that ubiquitous uh, phrase, I've sworn myself off it because I got so sick of hearing myself say it, but uh, when people are, when people say, oh how are you busy and um, busy has become this kind of default description of all life everywhere. Even to the point where sometimes people answer it for you, so they'll say, oh how are you busy or um, apart from busy, how are you or or whatever, which is kind of... And when people say that to me in church, like they're like, oh, how are you? Or you must be busy, or I know you're busy, or whatever. I, I kind of worry, I think, I hope, 
I don't communicate that. Are you saying to me that you experience that me as busy or that you haven't, I haven't got your attention or whatever? And so busyness, the rate of the use of the word busy is massive. Um, our actual busyness is it's not as straightforward. So we are, as far as you can work these things out, I'm talking on average, uh, not about Christian workers, just about workers, we're busier than we were in the 1950s. That seems empirically the case that they're kind of longer hours and life is uh, fuller and bigger and there's more demand on our time. You know, you know that kind of, even later than the 50s of uh, kids in families often didn't have extracurricular activities. So it was like you finish school and then you roam until it's dark and then you have dinner and kids have busy lives. And, and we are empirically busier than the 1950s but not empirically busier than the 1850s. So it turns out, actually, that working hours in the 1850s were huge. That uh, the, the amount of time... You, that's when all the legislation had to come in with the union movement and so on, in the later and then into the early 20th century, because work hours were huge. But uh, busy wasn't the word that people used to describe their lives. Uh, their lives would be... Um, if you're in those big hours, it would be... Uh, burdensome, um, grinding, uh, um, you know, felt like you had a claustrophobic series of choices available to you, but not busy, that wasn't the big, that's not in, Dickens doesn't use the word busy to describe uh, his world, although they work more than you do. Um, I think our problem, I think the reason busyness is such a big word is because of the ambiguity of our busyness. That it's not just that we're working, clocking out big hours and we sort of are and sort of aren't, but that you can be, at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday, you can be watching a cat video on YouTube. Like, so is that work or is that not work that you're kind of watching a cat who's learned how to play chopsticks? Uh, <laughs> but then conversely, at, at 10 p.m. on the same Tuesday, you can be in the bath replying email on your phone. And I think it's that, it's that ambiguity that what is this moment? Like, is this... Uh, is this? I'm watching a cat video at 10 a.m. I'm, I'm replying email in the bath at 10 p.m. I'm on a plane and I feel weird about that because I kind of like that there's no Wi-Fi, but I'm it's frustrated and I've got that little panic that. So what do I do? So do I have a word document where I write the email and then I send it when I get there? Or um, do you know what I mean? There's that kind of. I think the ambiguity of life and the decision fatigue. So your much harder working 1850s guy who's in there in the factory or on the farm for, for 60 hours a week isn't thinking, what do I do next? Is this, do I do, no, you, there's a widget that you crank and you keep cranking it and the more workers you can get, the more wi- uh, cra- cra- uh, widgets you can crank, uh, but the, there's no ambiguity about that. You're either at work or at rest. You're either in church or you're not, or you're, you know, that, that thing. So I think the thing we struggle with, and I think within that, um, our roles are particularly highly ambiguous. So I think, has it, what's your, have you got a, um, if it all falls apart, this is what I'll do fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> what's your, go on. Mine used to be a Mr. Whippy driver. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel, not that I'm massively into any Mr. Whippy, but I just feel like I'm, I reckon I've, I'm like, not to be overly psychological, but I always feel like I'm at a deficit that I don't know as much as everyone else. I'm not like all these Things. And so I reckon I try a little bit harder all the time. And I reckon as a Mr. Whippy driver, I'd just I'd get to the festival sooner, I'd stay longer, I'd like I'd have the green sleeves playing louder. So that was my 
Um, my kind of scrappy take. What, what's your kind of not in ministry fantasy? Cole's checkout. Cole's checkout? <laughs> Why? Just seems mindless. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. I'm sure it's a fantasy. No, no, yeah, but um, yes, yeah, that uh, they have that they would rather be, you know, whatever. Yes, yeah. Cole's check out. What are your other ones? Mow the lawns. Mow the lawns. Why mow the lawns? Neat rows all completed. Job done. Happy customer. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, is is the job finished? No. Yes. <laughs> is the lawn cut? No. Yes. Absolutely. Just, just this morning in um, baby animal petting farm. Person. Oh, it's on the way to here. That's brilliant, and that shows that you're a lovely person. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd like make cider down in Mogadishu. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because you're out of it, you like you got vaguely monastic. You just go like yeah, chat stuff like that. I reckon my this isn't my fantasy, but it's my op. I think. My life is the opposite of like I mean, a lawnmower. Maybe that's a better one. I always think of a security guard. That as a security guard, um, that would have its own tediousness to it. But you're either at work or you're not at work. So you're not at home thinking, "Oh, I'm in the bath, but I'll do a bit of guarding of the building from here." <laughs> like, you're, if you're not at work, you're really not at work. If you are at work, you are at work. And I think I think we all live lives where that's really ambiguous, like. What, what am I supposed to be doing right now? And um, you're... I, I was saying that I, I, I wish there were a better... There must be a better thing than this. Uh, but I feel like politicians... I don't think... I, I certainly don't think we're politicians. I think the life of a politician would be similar to the life of a gospel worker at the level of ambiguity. Mm. Um, because you think a politician on any given week... Where should I be now? Is this a constituency time? Should I be in my space with a card table in a shopping centre hustling? Uh, should I be uh, writing a thought piece for, for the monthly and, and trying to move the needle on the way the nation thinks about something? Uh, should I be in parliamentary question time? Should I be... You know, those kind of ambiguities. And I think that's... In terms of the way you'd experience the week, like... Is this speech to this group of people the thing I should be doing right now? I think that's I, that's my theory on why we use the word busy. It's our way. It's our little the cry of our soul saying ambiguous, ambiguous. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I've got decision fatigue. There's so many things I could be doing, and so many claimants on our time that um, you reach that stage in, in life where every every waking hour has more than one legitimate claimant on it. Um, it's not that you just you jam them all in and everyone says I'm happy. You're constantly deciding those trade-offs of I'll be here, which means I'm not there. I'm doing evangelism, so I'm not with the staff team. Or I'm doing you know that. that, that kind of thing. So I, I think that's the kind of space we uh, occupy and the kind of challenges that we face uh, in our work. And as I said at the start, where um, you know what we want is uh, is productivity rather than efficiency. We want efficiency to be a a, a servant of, of gospel productivity, which is what we're about. So firstly, let's think about the uh, the, the compass. Um, that's the most at the most meta possible level. I think that's I think it's best to think backwards from the compass of like you know where's my life going? Um, is it for Jesus? Is it for His glory? Am I cultivating the virtues that bring honor and glory to Jesus in patience and kindness and? Goodness and gentleness and uh, and self 
self-control. And uh, am I living, as you drill down, am I living the life and adopting the habits that will get there? Because there's a thousand, as Michael was saying last night, a thousand micro-decisions lead to the cultivation of a character of Christ-likeness. And, uh, uh, and so as we, we drill down into life, we need to be thinking about the compass, about I want my life to have reflected glory to Jesus and brought good to, good to, uh, to people. Uh, and I think it's also um, therapeutic and true to say um, that your efficiency and your productivity for that goal are very not the same thing. Uh, so, for example, imagine if you... What if you, in your role, ended up in prison or martyred? Would that undo the ability of your life to bring glory to Jesus? And, but not, right? Would it, would it undermine your... Efficiency, absolutely. If they didn't have Wi-Fi in the jail, or <laughs> you know, you couldn't do all that stuff. Like, um, you'd have there'd be a whole. You wouldn't. Your inbox wouldn't be at zero. Uh, be a whole lot of stuff. But potentially, it would be enormously productive uh, for Jesus. I don't, it's a weird thing. This I don't want this sound to alarm you, but it's a weird thing to think that we now live in an age where the chances of anyone in this room being martyred are vanishingly small but not zero. Do you know what I mean? The Link Cafe, uh, you could have been, you know, it's not zero. Mm. It, it's almost zero, but it's not. Or the chances of someone in this room ending up in, in being sued uh, or having a law court, uh, you know, maybe even doing a jail term. Vanishingly small, I wouldn't think about it too much, but not zero. It's possible that, uh, that some secular legislation could unwittingly undo some of our ministry. And I think it's worth going to that place and thinking, what happens if, what happens to my church and my campus ministry and my organisation? Uh, if that, uh, it could be massively clarifying uh, for the cost of following Jesus and for the glory that we brought to his, uh, his name. So that's true. That's, I mean, the, the whole uh, first chapter of Philippians is really making that, that point to live as Christ and to die as gain. And uh, uh, what we're doing here is stewarding the resources we have in the situation that we have. We don't want to uh, enter into a fantasy that we're being more productive because we're being more efficient. It could be very productive to end up in jail as it was before. Um, short of like at, you know volunteering to go into jail, um, we have lives to live and jobs to do and, uh, and think, things to run. And I think that the point of the compass thing is to say that it, it's incumbent on us, especially in a, in a leadership role, um, to get the kind of altitude you need to make the kinds of decisions uh, for yourself and for the people who are, uh, who are in your care. Uh, the way I put it this is leaders need altitude. You need that space up looking over the thing. Uh, that's not instead of service. That is one of the primary ways you serve in leadership. Uh, so you know that you, you have that thought. Oh, let's say I've got that thing in me that I think, oh, I've cleared half a day to go and hide in a public library or be near a whiteboard or um, uh, go on a long drive or read this kind of book, and that and it feels like there are all these people that have got a claim on that time as well that I could be uh, hustling the streets in my area or on campus evangelising or, or whatever, and you feel like I'm um, I could be serving and yet here I am planning. Uh, but I think that the truth is that in as much as you're responsible for other people, uh, that is how you serve in leadership, by making those directional uh, 
getting that altitude to make those kind of directional uh, decisions. Now, I realise that for some people, to get that kind of altitude, to be able to see the whole and make those watershed decisions that will send it this way and not that way, you do that collaboratively. So I'm not saying it's all like about being like you know walking for five days by yourself into the <laughs> desert or whatever. Um, but whatever it is, uh, it's not a negligence of your responsibilities. It's very important um, that you take that time to see the whole and make those uh, those decisions. Um, I think you end up in in uh, in role. I've noticed that. I think in my experience in ministry, life has moved from hustling to triage. The way I think about it, that I think early in ministry, I was hustling. My calendar was fairly open, and I was thinking, how do I, like, you know, how do I? I've got to hustle for business. I want to be out on the, uh, you know, out there with the card table of the, you know, shopping centre, or out on the campus, or out in the, knocking the doors and thinking, how do I generate uh, more activity? Uh, for uh, for the for the cause of Christ, whereas now you end up in a stage in life and ministry where it's triage, where there's more stuff coming at you, and you're like the uh, emergency nurse trying to think, what's this one? What's this? And how do I how do I push this to this place and that to that place and uh, make this? And I think they're quite different skills, and they're quite. Um, I really I really mourn the hustle era, and you have to think that even as even in triage you're learning to hustle better, that you're trying to think, what's the best yes I can say? What's the, uh, what of the various things that I could do, what's the best thing I can do? And to do that, I think you need that, that kind of altitude. I wanted to give you a chance to uh, play around with that idea. Um, to just think, maybe have a glance at your calendar or your task list or whatever, and... Just reflect critically on it. Um, how good has your triage been? Does your does your list, did your appointments for this week uh, reflect your overall goal of bringing glory to Jesus and good to His people? Does it reflect your approximate goals? Are the things that you're doing this week the things that only you can do? Are you are you doing the things that you're that either by your gifts and capacities or by your and or by your role in the organisation are, are the best things for you to do in your situation. So okay, I want to give you just a couple of minutes to look at your calendar or your task list and think critically about the decisions you've made for this coming coming week. Don't start texting and cancelling stuff, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna finish bang on ten or one minute before, so I'm gonna go through this in highlights for the last uh, the last bit of the paper and the rest of it you can kind of keep and try to guess what I was going to say. <laughs> the compass, the calendar and the clock. Calendar, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about that space like working out a year and working on project management and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, you know, I think about uh, a, a calendar has a feast and fast, a chronos and kairos, a kind of uh, the, the seasonality to the years. I think part of, part of the way of wisdom and Ecclesiastes speaks into this is to be uh, people who just who embrace your creatureliness uh, in, in the way a year works, that you're going to be tired now, you're going to be energised now, that this is a hard time. You know, don't uh, don't run staff meetings between the, uh, tw- on, 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 between the 24th of December and the uh, 1st of January, uh, and don't miss an opportunity in August to be on Mission for Jesus on a campus or whatever. Just the, the wisdom of the way a year uh, runs and to think about your energy as a finite resource that you steward over the year um, 
and to, to think that you want to be as present as you can for the things that really matter uh, over the over the course of the year. I know this, tell me if this is true in, in uh, other organisations. In our church, I think 24th of December to the 26th of January is total downtime. If I'm away on holidays, it's a victimless crime. Um, you know, no one notices. So it can be a smart time to be at work because you spend you spend all week dreaming and scheming that it's uh, that's that time of year. 26th of uh, January to about 15th of Fe- February is uh, gearing up. It's getting all the programs that you should have planned about June, July, August of the previous year um, up and running. And uh, so that's a that's getting stuff organised. I'm normally quite happy between the 25th, 26th of January and 15th of February because I'm an optimist. I think this is going to be the best year ever. This is going to be amazing. This is incredible. And then from the 15th of February until Easter, I'm a mess uh, <laughs> because you're blowing wind into the sails the whole time. That you've got all these things that are that it's just it's the sheer. You're just saying, oh, there's going to be a thing that happens on that Tuesday night, and. There's no momentum behind it except that you said there's going to be a thing that happens on Tuesday night. <laughs> Nothing's got its own stuff. And so I feel like then I'm just like, and, you, and you're having to learn, get your poker face and be like, this is going to be great. And I'm thinking, I don't think this is going to work. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is going to be amazing. And so I find that the hardest time of the year. And so I've had to start to calculate that in and to think, okay, just note to self, you know, you'll feel horrible. And that's because of the time of the year. It's not because you drop last Tuesday's quiet time and God is getting back at you or whatever uh, other thing it is. Uh, then Easter, I find, to July is building momentum. I find that exciting. I'm happy again because the things are kind of, you know, what didn't work is fallen by the wayside and things are starting to have their momentum. July to September, you're capitalising and doing course correction. So my temptation from July to September, uh, the good thing is to, is to think there's momentum, let's build on this. The scary thing is to think, oh, that didn't work, let's wait till 2017 and just ride this one out. Instead of thinking, a bit like you know, when you get IKEA furniture, that you, having put it together, at some stage you should go around and tighten everything up again and rather than think, oh, this thing's rubbish, you just you tighten it up. And I think that's uh, what, I, what I need to remember to think, don't, don't kick everything into next year, let's make this year work. I'm here now, I'm not there, make, let's make this work. And then September... Uh, to, to December uh, is a time where I think you should be I, I should be in our church sealing the deal, bringing things to completion um, thanking and celebrating making sure things finish well that there's, people are celebrated and thanked and uh, we, we take account of what God's done amongst us and um, making sure next year uh, is planned it might be different for you uh, but I think, uh, I think knowing those plans those patterns for the year and uh, and planning your life accordingly. Um, Mikey's going to talk about this, but I think if you go down to the clock, um, not every, I'll finish with this, not every hour is created equal. I think I, I that was a, a kind of a late discovery for me, but I just kind of would look at a calendar, look at a day and think, ah, I, it takes two hours to prepare the exegetical part of a talk, uh, so I'll do that between two and four after a massive carb-loaded lunch. <laughs> that's a very different two hours uh, from six till eight, or if you're a night person, from nine till 11, or wherever it is that you're thinking. So I think we need to learn to exegete our time, energy, and attention and to think, this is for that. So a thing that I've started doing is having a shadow calendar next to my real calendar. So if you've got it on, on, uh, on your Apple calendar or whatever, to have, oh, in an ideal week... I'd be at my desk at these times 
and I'd be having appointments at these times and I'd be in the fetal position in the study at this time or whatever it is so that you can start to make it never the platonic ideal of the week never looks like the actual week but it gives me a sense of making those decisions knowing that my energy is best there for thinking it's best there for people it's best there for like cranking uh, widgets and so on um, I think that's as much as I want to say to you and um, I hope that's got us into the space. So I'm going to, we're going to pause. There might be, I think there's two minutes for questions, then it hits 10, and then we've got uh, coffee. And the break is for half now. 15. 15. 15. There you go. Anything you want to say or uh, come on up. Okay. What are your three posting on things so that it's a different kinds of work that you want to do at different times of day? I know that's a joke from Facebook, but there's like deep thinking work and... And categorising what kind of work you want to do at better or worse times of day? Oh yeah, I can't remember what that was. That's for some study that I'm doing. And I'd get to Friday, which I've set aside 9 till 3 for doing this research and this study. So it's not work, it's that. And I'd get there and I'd just be this big amorphous, get this thing written. And I tried to break it down into thinking, having, yeah, post-it notes. I think one was deep work to think, if I'm, if I'm full of energy and I want to think, I'm going to read from this pile. And then it was... Mid-level work, I think, was kind of here's some a conference that I've got to go to. I better book the tickets and so on. And then there was brain dead work, which is kind of work, which is like uh, sharpen the pencils at this desk, <laughs> um, or decide that my books go not in order of uh, surname but in order of colour, like <laughs> black to white with all the rainbow in between, or whatever. But that was a way of thinking, okay, I can, nine till three, that's where I've got to do the research, and instead of always planning on deep work and always being disappointed as I end up at Netflix, uh, to kind of think, this, here's some stuff that does help a bit, and if I do it, I'll feel like I've advanced this cause. Yeah. I think it's ten. Uh, I'll pray, then we'll, uh, we'll pray. Lord, uh, thanks for the start to this. We uh, really pray, Lord, as Mikey uh, uh, takes over, that we'd really... Um, uh, yeah, feed in and uh, feed up and uh, learn great things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.